my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy. I'm Joe Stapleton. Him, he's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy World Wildlife Day, Joe. Now, Vivi did suggest a fun one, okay. which was, what if cats and dogs had opposite thumbs day? And I'm here for it, <laughs> but I can't miss the opportunity to celebrate World Wildlife Day. A bit more serious than usual, but deserving. Yeah, I think the world is messed up enough right now without uh, cats and dogs having opposable thumbs. Coming up on today's show, it's Poker Movie Monday on a Wednesday, but on a Thursday, released on a Friday. <laughs> what movie, you might ask? The Card Counter. I've been talking about it for years. It's time to finally break it down and, dare I say, put it to bed until the sequel. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> I, I would like <clears throat> I would like to be able to talk about this movie uh, from the perspective of a regular poker movie Monday, you know, like having seen it fresh, having yeah. seen it for the yeah. first time, like a regular person. Sadly, I cannot because I mean, I quite literally wrote some of it. So it's difficult to just watch it as do you think I'm allowed to say that, by the well, way? I mean, I don't know. The Writers Guild might be in touch. I mean, the credit very clearly says written and directed by Paul Schrader. There's no asterisk there saying additional dialogue by Joe Stapleton. <laughs> Two word changes by Joe Stapleton. Uh, anyway, that means this week's guest is card counter related. And since we already have the director and we couldn't get the actors, honestly, I didn't even try. Uh, Oscar, there's just no way I'm going to get rejected or ghosted by Oscar Isaac. It would make me too sad. Uh, so we are having the film's producer, my friend, Lauren Mann, on the show to talk about how all that came to be and what it was like actually producing a movie instead of just sitting on the sidelines teaching people how to pretend to deal poker. <laughs> This week's super fan, we had some ins, some outs, some drama. Did we end up with anybody? We did. We have Sven Dahlbjornsson who has stepped in. Sven is going to be card countering. You're right, Joe, a bit of a last minute panic to get a super fan for this week. Some confusion about time zones. And to be fair, at some point, the recording did move from the Wednesday to the Thursday. But just a reminder, guys, that Discord is the place to be, to be across what's going on with this show. It's on the Pokestars Discord service, link in the podcast description. There are dedicated channels, including a Superfan Applications channel. And of course, there's the general discussion channel where you can share your thoughts on TV shows and movies, uh, which is what everyone's doing at the moment. I don't really need anyone else's hot take on Reacher right now. I'm done. I'll wait till I've seen it. Oh, okay. So you still have not watched Reacher? I have not. I have okay. been watching. I finished Euphoria. And now I'm watching the most recent season of Billions, having caught up with the previous season in recent weeks. Okay, so quickly, uh, tell me what, what your uh, overview was on the finale of Euphoria. I, it got mixed reviews from what I can tell. I thought it was awesome. I love the show. I love everything about it. Okay, got the awesome review. Billions, I did start season six. I got, I'm one episode into season six, so I kind of am getting used to, uh, what, what's his name, Michael Prince? Yes. Peter Prince, Michael Prince, whatever Michael his Prince. name is. Get it used to Michael Prince. So far, so good. Season six of uh, Billions. What I'm really into right now, uh, let me get to what I finished. Finish the Righteous Gemstones. Finish Goliath season four. I don't, I, I remember, uh, you guys might remember saying Goliath season one, awesome. Season two, okay. Season three, terrible. Season four, back to okay. Um, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I thought Goliath season one was outstanding. I didn't like season two, and as a consequence, yeah. I didn't go any further, and I have well, no real desire to continue. You could if you wanted to, but it's it's a bit of a slog. Season four, uh, the parts that are like actual courtroom drama and investigation, awesome, and there's a lot of like weird dream like stuff that's passable, um, easy to pass. Uh, but I, right now, I'm in the midst of something Griffin brought up on the live stream on Monday called Severance, uh, which is an Apple TV show. And I did one of those things that we have to come up with a word for this, where you start binging a show, right? And then you get into it and then you realize, oh, no, this isn't a binge show. This is a weekly show. Like you all, get by like <laughs> all of the Apple TV shows are weekly. Uh, so, yes, I've seen since Griffin brought it up on our Sunday Million live stream. Yeah. I have started seeing more promos for this. Um, so, yes, it is now on my radar, but I don't know. 
At some we, point, at some point, I'll get around to seeing it. We will have to, I think, in the future, start having assignments like, okay, we're all going to watch X show because there's just so much stuff out there. It's yeah. really difficult yeah. for things to overlap ever again. Especially with all the competing streaming platforms. And there was a time when all these platforms did was carry other people's programming. And now, of course, it's all about original content and they are all vying for those all important subs. So a lot of good content being pumped out right now. Yeah, well, I can promise you, I, I think I subscribe to every single service. So they, they're they're all vying for Joe Stapleton's money. That's Bless for you. sure. Bless you. Um, so obviously, the rest of the show is going to be dedicated to one particular movie. And it is, in some ways, a poker movie. Uh, yes. Finally, time for us to break down the card counter from start to finish. I know that Joe's told stories about being on set before. We had Paul Schrader on the show when the movie got its uh, theatrical release in the US last year. But we're actually going to do a full breakdown. And guys, that means spoilers for those of you who haven't watched the film. And if you haven't watched the film, shame on you. Uh, One person who is very familiar with this motion picture is Lauren Mann, who gave Joe his big break in Hollywood. She's one of the producers of The Card Counter. She's with us now. Hello, Lauren. Hi, James. Hi, Joe. And congratulations on your big win. Thank you. At the Poker Awards. It should come as no surprise that Lauren's a big fan of my career, James, uh, as evidenced by the fact that she does everything she can to help me. But she's always following along. She knows what's going on with the show. She made a bunch of people watch the Aaron Sorkin interview when he was on. It's... uh, Bless you. Yeah, it's good having her. It's a really good interview, actually. And if you haven't watched it or listened, you should definitely listen to it. Thank you. Uh, So I've known Lauren for a very long time. We're going on over uh, well over a a decade now, 12, Mm -hmm. 13 years. And when I first met Lauren, Lauren was doing the thing that you do in L.A. and that she was like an assistant and had like a pretty tough boss. And I was wondering if Lauren could talk a little bit about sort of, you know, that path from. Uh, from from you know being a, a photocopier or coffee whatever you did to becoming an actual movie producer. Yeah, I I still think that the best way to you know get in the business is to be an assistant. Um, and I think now, post Harvey Weinstein, me too. Um, I even though I know not everyone is still behaving the way they should. <laughs> I still think that it is the most invaluable learning experience. I did not go to film school. Totally respect those who did, but you're just never going to learn what you need to learn and who you need to meet. It's all about who you can pick up the phone and call. Um, But yeah, I was, it was pretty brutal what I dealt with. And I still have (laughs) my best friend who I, I actually, it's kind of crazy that we're best friends. I, basically was hired because he got fired and almost like the the assistant shaming of like, Oh, like you have to train the new person who's replacing you. Oh, wow. But we became best friends because it's such a unique experience. Like whilst get yells gets yelled at on their first day by Sharon stone for not putting whipped cream on their iced hot chocolate, (laughs) like not everyone understands the like the shame and embarrassment and just also like of course i should have known that if sharon stone's ordering iced hot chocolate how dare i order it without whipped cream i mean i can't believe i was fired wasn't fired i was gonna say i'm amazed you're still working in the industry i i know who who would have thought um but (laughs) when something like that happens when you later see sharon stone in a movie are you able to enjoy it at all or is that all you can think about when you see her on screen i mean it's hard because casino is one of my favorite movies and i think that she's such a unique person in person and you know i also she meets so many people so Depends on the person, but her, I've just kind of like, she's Sharon Stone. Like, of course, she, you know, it's just kind of part of the lore of who she is to begin with. So it, that didn't rock me as much as some other people that behave badly. And I'm just like, Ugh, like, yeah, I really don't want to watch your movies. And, you know, bad behavior is, is still tolerated. And uh, that I hope 
I, I don't think, I, but I know it, it in every industry. It's just in the movie business, it's it's more peculiar and it's more ridiculous what the requests are and are kind of everyone's like, we always say this to one another in the movie business, like we're not curing cancer. And it's true. So you, you just really have to have a good sense of humor about it all. Sure, sure. Having risen up the ranks and having met Joe Stapleton, what a perfect collision of events in the universe that you should get involved in the production of a movie that features the game of poker, knowing someone who works <laughs> in the poker industry and gifting Joe with this amazing opportunity. Oh, I, it's amazing. No, I actually, this, this movie probably would not have existed if we're, we're not for Joe Stapleton. And I know that sounds I can say that with clip that <laughs> it's true. No, cause I originally met Paul on a different movie um, and he's spoken about it publicly called nine men from now, which is almost like a modern Sicario Western. I was totally obsessed, um, but it was a lot bigger. It was twice the budget. And Paul was so smart. He knew that that movie was taking forever to try to set up. And in the meantime, wrote a smaller film that just, you know, budget-wise worked and it was more contained. And he just, he gave it to Oscar. Um, and just while this other movie was kind of like, it was very clear it was not happening. Um, Paul's manager was kind of like, oh, like, have you read this other project that Paul wants to do? And it, you know, nobody's attached but Oscar Isaac. And I was like, yes, what, what's it about? And he's like, well, it's kind of in the poker world. And I'm like, oh, well, I am... <laughs> Tied to that in a way, and I've I've been around that world because of one of my closest friends, and I actually read the script in Vegas, um, like the summer of 2019, and actually Joe was my business partner. I immediately gave it to, and I was like, "This is actually better. I like this film better." And then I immediately sent it to Joe, and I was like, uh, "You're never going to believe this. I'm dying to work with Paul Schrader, and you know, here's this new script and." you know, it, poker is heavily featured. And am I right in thinking, Joe, the sequence of events was having read the script, you felt compelled to write a series of notes, not realizing that Lauren was then going to send those notes uncensored, unfiltered to the desk of Paul Schrader. Yes. And I've, I've told that story many times, um, basically, that I just thought I was writing them up as a favor to Lauren, that one day she could look really cool on set and be like, hey, don't this is how they really do it. And she just hit forward to Paul and all these kind of harsh notes got sent him. But what I've never got actually asked Lauren is, Lauren, did you take a calculated risk in sending that or did you just be like, ah, I'm like, this is the best way to deliver it to him? Like, what was your thought process in in doing it that way well you know it's i knew that kind of what is special about paul's movies is you know there's they're very similar storylines but they're set in different worlds and you know there was enough poker in there where i knew that if we got it wrong and that would just be so embarrassing and knowing that we just he needed, Paul needed to hear, I mean, Paul's a fucking genius. And, oh, can I say fuck? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, what he was, what he kind of knew on his own was impressive. Um, but also, I I feel like it would be a major disservice to the film if I went through and, and made this and did not step in. And I just was incredibly lucky that I had Joe, uh, you know, that I trusted Joe. But I, you know, I don't think he... I didn't really care at a certain point what Paul was going to say because he needed to see that, you know, there was a, another layer of vetting that we needed to do with all the poker content. And obviously, I, you know, knowing Joe so well, I never had any doubts about putting Joe on the phone in the room with Paul. And what I was like, the most pleasant thing was that Paul ended up, I, Paul likes Joe more than he likes me, more than he likes most people. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> He like ended up because they were like had their own little bromance. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, there were times on set if Joe disappeared for a moment, he would like instantly, you know, it would be in the thing like poker Joe, poker Joe, because there were multiple Joes on set. We need poker Joe. I mean, so it was like the coolest thing was to see Paul leaning on Joe and, and knowing that that was, a, you know, the most invaluable resource. 
Yeah, and I have to say that, you know, Lauren having the confidence in me to do it was never anything like, never gave me any instructions about like, you have to be reverent to Paul in this way or Paul is that or whatever. It was always like, you know, we were colleagues working on this movie and I sort of eventually caught on to this sort of reverence that other people treated him with. Um, and I'm glad I didn't go into it with that attitude because it probably would have made me not quite as good at what I had to do there that I wasn't like really intimidated by Paul and he didn't expect me to be, but I think other people went in with that attitude uh, and I'm just glad that I didn't have that. Yeah, I mean, I remember because you've talked so much about it, Joe, and I think we actually recorded an episode of the podcast where you were actually on set and you talked yeah. about your involvement beforehand. You talked about your involvement on location. And then, of course, this was like March 2020. And then, of course, along comes the pandemic. And I remember production being affected. And there was at one point where you were kind of like, this is what happens to me. This is so Joe Stapleton. This movie may now never get finished. This movie may now never see the light of day. But obviously, spoiler alert, the movie did get finished and did see the light of day. Yeah, and obviously, Lauren, you had way more stress over that than I did. Obviously, that's my own little world. Can you talk to us a little bit about what production was like for you? I know that there were some bumps even before COVID, right. and then COVID hit. Oh, yeah. I mean, every production has its host of problems. But, you know, when you're really trying to... What people don't realize is even though there are major uh, names in this film it was a tiny budget. And the reason that we can have someone like Oscar Isaac be in the lead is because he basically got paid no, no money. And this is like, you know, he gets to act, he gets to act in a film that, you know, a legend is directing and there's no green screens, you know, this wasn't star Wars, which we kind of also always kept stay saying that, you know, we don't have star Wars budget. I brought so up star Wars like a couple <laughs> times when like people noticed him and I was like, that's the guy from star Wars. And he seemed least interested in that being yeah. one of his credits. Like he like oh, did yeah. not, he, he did not, not that he was like mad about star Wars. He was just like, you know, I've been in other movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is kind of, that's what I love about an independent film is like, this is where everyone's doing it for the love of the game. Cause God knows there's really not money in this. Um, and only when you hit like some phenomenon, I mean, in a way, card counter is a bit of a phenomenon in that, you know, it was, it was able to reach a certain level of conversation in the world, in the business. Um, and, you know, like going into it, that, that we were incredibly, um, things were incredibly tight and, you know, throughout, uh, you know, prep and production, we realized like, even when we first started making the film on the ground, we still needed money. Like we, you know, we had to get small investors and, you know, it, it wasn't pleasant. This was not a pleasant movie to work on. I'm incredibly proud of it, but you know, there were things like, um, yeah, we were flipped by the union and I, you know, those are all valuable lessons to learn, even though Mississippi is a right to work state should have been union from the get go. Um, and all those things. Add to what the does budget. that mean, Lauren? Flip for the union? Like production halted at one point, right? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, you're, you know, we were SAG because of our actors, but um, you know, we should have been IATSE, um, and you know, we kind of stupidly uh, did not plan for that. And once, um, you know, the union. Is is I mean, it was the movie we had to announce so the movie was like very like public knowledge that it was happening and so knowing that it was non-union you know of course they came after us um and and that was the week before the pandemic shut down so we all of a sudden had to become union we're forced with like multiple hundreds of thousand dollars on top of then the following week having to shut down you know, and knowing that we had to eventually finish the film, we had no idea what the world was going to be like, but that was an additional major cost to know that we would have to like basically prep again and shut down again, you know, and that was not budgeted for whatsoever. And Paul's reaction to production being shut down was, <laughs> let's just say very Paul, although he did later admit that it gave him the opportunity to think differently about the film and, and, and change a lot in the edit. Obviously, when it comes to the release of the film, critical acclaim uh, pretty much across the board. 
interestingly, and I guess this is where we start getting into our kind of like breakdown and review of the movie. Um, Lauren, you very kindly sorted out with help from Focus Features for me to see the movie via a screener uh, around its US release. The problem there is it, you have a very narrow window in which to watch it. It's like a 48-hour period. And I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I didn't necessarily want to watch it late on a Sunday night, but I had to. Um, it was a stream. wasn't the greatest quality in the world. I don't think I appreciated the movie fully on my first viewing. But ahead of this podcast, I saw it uh, via its release on Apple. And here I saw it 4K HDR in its intended aspect ratio of 1.66 to 1. And I know people are saying stop geeking out over this shit, but it no, matters. This stuff matters. Seeing it as the director intended is important. And I really appreciated this film a lot more. And my key takeaway, my key observation about this movie is that it is all about Oscar Isaac. He is phenomenal in this movie. And I'm as disgusted that he didn't get an Oscar nomination as I am that Daniel Craig didn't. And I know I'm biased as a Bond fan, but I do think that Daniel Craig delivered the best performance any actor as Bond has ever delivered in No Time to Die. Oh, really? Plus deserved, oh, okay. plus deserved to be recognized for those, those five movies, but also Oscar Isaac, because he is sensational. Every single close-up, he is performing in this, and he is brilliant. He is this film. That's actually funny that you mentioned James Bond, because when I was at home over the holidays and my parents and I watched James Bond together and my mom's like don't you ever want to make a big studio movie like that <laughs> Bond and I was like no I don't she's like wouldn't you want to make lots of money I'm like no I don't want to make lots of money I want to do art films and I like ran upstairs and I was like you don't understand me <laughs> yeah Lauren have you ever seen a Marvel movie yet no, I have not. And I, just, <laughs> I just recently met Chris Pine and I was like, what? I don't, I haven't seen you in any movies. And he was like, Star Trek, Wonder. I'm like, nope, sorry. If you weren't in an A24 movie, I. <laughs> I mean, we've said so many times, Lauren, that it's not a poker movie per se. Poker is obviously right. in the movie. It's ingrained yeah. in the kind of gambling culture in these soulless casinos which are such a contrast with the glamour of vegas that you get in a movie like oceans 11 but it absolutely suits the character and and suits the story yeah, and, and actually uh, to interject about the casinos the when we were shooting one of my i was so devastated because one of the biggest casinos um that i was like we have to get this because it could have played for vegas and this is kind of why it, be, it m melded into a more like nondescript uh, you know, b below par casinos is that we were, I, we were on a location scout. We were with, I was with Paul and Alexander Dynan, our fucking fabulous DP. He's a genius. And we were with like all of these hotel people, one of the part owners, like 20 people on garage. Like, oh my God, Paul Strader, we're, we're making a movie here. And we go to the poker room and it's like a newly renovated $5 million that they put into this one poker room. And, you know, Alexander and I kind of like, looked at it and we're like, eh, they had like exposed brick and it really wasn't that attractive. Paul looks at it, turns around and goes, looks like a fucking Applebee's, walks out. You did not get that location. <laughs> the locations that you do have work perfectly. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned that Paul often tells the same story. And I think we discussed this when Paul was on the show. That opening narration from William Tell is so reminiscent of Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver. Yeah. And again, if you just see him passing the time playing poker and how he uses that game is just how Travis Bickle uses driving a cab in that movie. Both, of course, haunted by their past in military conflict. Um, I mean, ev the detail, everything from his hotel room routine to the way that he handles himself at the poker table, at the blackjack table. I love, by the way, the tutorial of card counting. It's spot on, and the graphics do a great job of explaining it to any audience, even if you're not familiar with the concept of gambling. It's, uh, it, it's, it's really cool. Um, and again, to give credit to Oscar Isaac, how he talks about the game, how he handles his chips, everything feels authentic. It feels very real. And this is where I'm going to come at you with my one criticism 
of the movie. Oh, please, no, I'm all about. I'm. Yeah, I think. I, I think Ty Sheridan is fine. I mm. do think that Tiffany Haddish is the weak link here because I just don't buy her character and I don't buy any authenticity in a lot of her dialogue and how it's delivered. But I am going to lay the blame at the feet of whoever was working on this movie as the poker consultant because they clearly didn't oh, do enough good enough totally. job with it. No, it's totally Joe's fault. I look uh, to be perfectly honest. I I think that there is some valid criticism there, and I think that part of it is that we spent so much time focusing on Oscar and Oscar understanding the poker sort of uh, what's going on in the poker world. And I sat with Oscar for an afternoon, and I kind of felt, oh, if I suggest that I do the same thing with Tiffany, is this me just wanting to spend the afternoon with Tiffany Haddish? Or is it me like really needing to like have that same sort of like talk with her about it? I don't know that I would have gotten that time had I even requested it, but I do think that it was a mistake on my part to not at least say, oh, hey, let's make sure Tiffany like understands a little bit more about the poker world as well. I do think that part of that is my fault. No, I actually, I totally disagree. I think that, you know, it was, we only, we shot it in 20 days. Um, Wow. Yeah. Like, and Paul works incredibly fast. Paul sometimes does just one, two takes. I mean, he knows exactly what he wants immediately. Um, And I think it's just in a movie, like you can't always, especially an independent film where um, you have a very small window of time. And if you don't make the movie happen, then, you know, you lose actors to dates of bigger movies. Now with all the streamers, you know, of course, like all these actors are out of kind of, can't do hop on a little movie for months and months and months because they're under contract or they they have hold dates for you know Disney Plus and Netflix and Amazon and so you're really forced to make miracles happen in a very short window of time and I think that just knowing that the story was so about William Tell and that was just you know the main that was the main event of this film and I think you know, had we had the luxury of more time, you know, had we, uh, you know, had, cause we really, we hired Tiffany very, very close to filming. So Paul didn't have that much uh, prep time with Tiffany and he knew Oscars and he knew he always wanted to make a movie with Oscars. So they had the luxury of talking for quite a while. Um, but you know, there's always these things when you look back and you're like, shoulda, woulda, coulda, and you just kind of are thankful that it came out as well as it did under the circumstances. Of course. What's the classic line? Movies are never finished. They're abandoned. Oh, I've never heard that one, but I, uh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely feel like I, there are a lot of movies where I'm like done moving on. Never want to see that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, one question I should have asked Paul Schrader, but I guess I can ask you Lauren is how were the Iraq flashbacks shot? What was the technique used there? Yeah. Because it's so effective. So, okay. I'm, I know Alexander has spoken extensively to some cinematographer magazines and there's a specific fisheye lens that if you are a film nerd, you know, look up those, I think it's British cinematographer. He was recently profiled in. Um, but that was one of the very first conversations. I remember, you know, once we, we were like, okay, this movie is happening. Paul very specifically wanted it to be almost like, video game call of duty and very frantic and he had such a clear vision of how different he wanted those flashbacks to be and i remember being on set and actually that was the 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 willem and oscar scenes in abu Ghraib are the last things that which is very like kind of now i think back how ominous it was the last scene that we shot before the pandemic shut shut us down um, and the dog, like the noise and the dogs, like we were all a little bit disturbed on set because it was so, uh, intense. And, um, but, but Paul, that was like a very early conversation, uh, that he really went into great detail with about the very specific, like fisheye lens that he wanted to use to kind of create this very different world and look, uh, during those flashbacks. It's incredibly effective. Um, I want to talk in detail about the poker, even though it's the backdrop to the movie, because it's a poker podcast, and I'm sure that's what everyone wants us to talk about. And Joe, you can talk in detail about exactly what you did behind the scenes. But 
I do want to quickly reference the central story of the movie, which is obviously this guy who was involved in the torture of prisoners uh, in Iraq at Abu Ghraib, was imprisoned, now lives this life going from casino to casino, scratching a living at the blackjack and poker tables, takes this young guy under his wing, a guy who has the kind of the... the um, the quest for vengeance against the guy who really was behind uh, the torture at Abu Ghraib. There is then obviously the Lalinda character, the Tiffany Haddish character, who is backing Oscar Isaac in these poker tournaments and is also the love interest. And, and I remember, Joe, when the film came out, we discussed this. I find the ending of this movie more bleak than the ending of Taxi Driver. Because in Taxi Driver, Travis saves Iris. In this movie... William does not save Kirk. And in a sense, William himself is then also destined to a downbeat ending as well. That's, I'll let Laura weigh in in a second. I actually always kind of looked at this as a, like a happy ending. Um, in that- what universe does this movie have a happy <laughs> ending? By the way, Paul Schrader doesn't do happy endings. It's a sliding scale of misery. Okay, so the bad guy gets his... And the slightly less bad guy sort of gets what he wants and continues like to be punished for being a bad guy. I don't know. Like other than Ty Sheridan dying, which honestly, because it doesn't happen on screen, I don't really think about that much. Oh, wow. Um, uh, I, I, I kind of liked I, I, I don't know. I feel like the ending was like pretty good. Not, I mean, not as like a quality level, but like like almost a happy ending. Lauren? Well, I mean, yeah, I never, I like dark. I, I love dark films. I mean, this is kind of exactly what I had always, exactly the kind of film that I'd always hoped and set, to make and set out to make. And, um, you know, I think the one of the most gratifying things is you know, Joe and I, you know, had seen the movie in theaters with, you know, a number of audiences and, Every time, and I guess this is a spoiler, but we already said tie dyes. Every time he looks at his phone, and you know, you see where he is, and you just know, uh, like the audience gasps. And I, I actually wasn't expecting that in a screening, but it happened in every screening, and that was like, oh my gosh, that was so awesome because the film is a slow burn, and you know, I. I don't like happy endings in films. I, it, I actually it is a like genuine really... surprise. It is a genuine yeah. shock in that yeah. moment. The only thing I guess where you could spin it is, well, he kind of deserved it if he's going to be an idiot like that because it's mm-hmm. clear that like William's trying to steer him in a different direction. Tell gave him a that. chance, like the best shit, like a better I mean, opportunity than most people will ever get and the kid fucking blew it. One of my favorite scenes in the film is that chilling scene where he brings him to the hotel room and you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And he opens the bag. Do you know that these- was shot on our first day? No. We shot that scene on the first day and I was... That I think that was one of the scenes where when I was watching it, if Paul shooting it, I was like, holy fuck, this is so intense. When we were shooting, it it was intense. And, you know, I yeah, no, that by far, that's my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're right, Joe, gives him every chance possible, gives him a shit ton of money. And all he's got to do is go and see his mother. And what does he do? He fucks it up. So, yeah, I guess you could say he had it coming. Um, (laughs) Okay. Another thing I want to say about about the poker, and Joe, I I don't know if you're, and we've talked about this so many times, so now in March of 2022, six months after the film's release, two years after you were on set, retrospectively, how do you feel about it now um, as far as how it portrays the world of poker, how it portrays the world of gambling? I think it is very authentic to William Tell's version of what the poker world is. A lot of people who watch this movie, obviously, once they get over the disappointment of it not being a poker movie, are like, well, why did Tell say this particular thing, right? In the in the diner scene where he says it goes, check, raise, re-raise. And like a couple people thought they were real cute by being like, it doesn't go check, raise, re-raise. And I was like, it, it might not, but like this guy probably would tell the story like that. So I think that as far as like who he was and the sorts of, things he would do in a, at a poker table and the way he would look at poker, I think it was very authentic to the character. There was nothing about this that that was untrue to who this person was. I feel really good about it. I also feel like I dodged a bit of a bullet 
and that when they had to shut down for COVID and when they came back, that there was way less poker in the movie than there originally was going to be. I think that that was a huge relief for me because all of that scrutiny uh, now doesn't exist. It's it's not even on the cutting room floor. It never got shot in the first place. So and I think that the poker that's in there, I'm very, very happy with it. I, I, I really, I really feel like everyone turned out looking good in that case. Yeah. And I think what you just said there about how this is William's world and how he sees it is really important because one of the first issues I had with the movie and fact it came up when i first got to see the screenplay uh before it even started shooting was this real mix of eras where it felt kind of like early 2000s with the whole where everyone has to have a nickname and there's sponsorship to be had from these online sites but clearly it is a contemporary movie it references the events of the iraq war and then i realized it is almost like an alternative universe. It's almost like a transcendental state. It's almost dreamlike in the way in which it portrays this kind of mix of eras. And it really works in that way. Um, maybe that's me reading too much into it, but I don't have that issue with the movie. Well, so that's anymore. one thing that I that like I give Paul and the producers credit for is that like for for someone who like knew a little bit about poker either he got super lucky or he's Paul Schrader and he does this. He just fucking nailed it. Like he nailed how certain feelings come across at a poker table in a casino in motel rooms. I don't think he's just lucky. I think he just, he might not know how to articulate it with words, but he does know how to put it on screen and, and make you feel that same way. Yeah. Um, so the poker that features in the movie, we do have, that final table, Joe, where you are in the final four. I believe you may even have made it to second place. So this is where any grounding in reality falls apart. <laughs> uh, yes, it, that was definitely me playing a character who was not me, who actually can <laughs> go deep in a poker tournament. Yes. Well, I love that. That was such a great moment when, you know, Paul just, we really needed more extras. Like we were... It just was very hard and Mississippi had a very um, limited kind of look to what just people who people showed up to be extra. So every, you know, now and again, uh, Paul would just pull a crew member. He'd be like, Joe, sit here. (laughs) Like you're in the movie. (laughs) I mean, we have to address one slight elephant in the room, Lauren. And at the final table of the final event where William is sat next to a player who is wearing a hat that says Captain Tom here is someone mm-hmm. who somewhere, somehow wrangled themselves into the end credits as the poker advisor sitting below, importantly, sitting below poker consultant Joe Stapleton. Yeah, I honestly, you know, again, lots of people worked on this movie and I had absolutely no clue who this guy was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea that, you know, he was even a figure in poker. He just basically showed up as an extra and some of the extras, you know, were more outspoken than others in terms of thinking that they were all the all-knowing poker geniuses. Um, if I could have maybe uh, gone back, I might have, you know, limited his. <laughs> 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 maybe scrub that uh, credit out. I understand. Look, the dude shows up. He's got his World Series bracelets on. He's covered head to toe in patches. He looks like what a poker player should look like to Paul. Paul was like quite taken with him. I get it. Yeah. It's fine. If he hadn't wiggled his way into the credits, I would have had no issues with it. However, now I have to explain to people why it looks like we're sharing or credit on the movie. Whatever. It's not about me. Joe, I've no, given you the out, buddy. Everything that people love about the movie is you. Everything they hate about the movie is him. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, and one of the greatest things the film does is it doesn't resolve the poker. And I think that that is yeah. an awesome twist. Uh, when we spoke to Paul Lauren, he said that Mr. USA is very much the red herring of the movie because you yeah. think that that game is going to conclude with William heads up against this obnoxious character and he will get his revenge having lost to him in a previous poker tournament. But... William walks out on the game when it's still three-handed and we never know how it finishes and it doesn't matter because clearly he is more than distracted by what's happened to Kirk and he needs to sort out the situation uh, with Gordo, which then obviously leads to the uh, the 
conclusion of the film where I'm glad we don't see what happens because it sounds absolutely yeah. bloody terrible. And he no, looks it, bloody it, terrible literally after the event. Yeah. Well, and that's actually, that was one of my favorite things that Joe immediately said when he read the script is he's like, this is the best poker ending that you could have. We've seen it all. We've seen people win. We've seen people lose. And this is actually more devastating than that. So, I, as far as I'm concerned, there are two poker hands in this movie. One mm-hmm. is a poker hand, which you've already alluded to, Joe, where William tells the story in the diner to Kirk. And the other mm-hmm. is an actual hand played in one of the tournaments. Did you write these hands or were they already in the script and you just approved them? The, the hands were uh, were both in the script already. The diner hand had some major problems. Like it just didn't. It actually was impossible the way Paul wrote it. it. Just had like some you know mistakes in it. There was like a sixth card on the board or whatever. Or it was like this hand doesn't actually beat that hand. That kind of thing. So I, in both cases with the hands, I what I said to Paul was, "What are you trying to convey here?" Yes. And then I will create a hand that gets that across. So yeah, the the poker hand. Uh, that we see from start to finish the the kings versus ace deuce versus sevens hand. Uh, I did, yeah, from start to finish, figure that out. Paul was like, "Oh, I want him to, you know, to to bluff this lady out, uh, you know, to 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 make a big bet on the river and have her be the last person in and have her reluctantly fold." So I, I wrote the hand that way. Yes. Well, more on that one in a moment. The diner hand, I really like, by the way, and I love the way that he reconstructs it with the deck and the fact that he's able to pick out the cards without looking. And Kirk like kind of likes that little trick. Uh, Queen of Diamonds, Queen of Clubs for the player called Alex. Nine, eight of diamonds for Goldie, and the most action actionist of action boards. Uh, Ten of spades, Jack of diamonds, Queen of hearts. So the straight versus top set. The Ten of diamonds on the turn for the full house versus the straight flush draw. And then the seven of diamonds comes in on the river. Here is my question, Joe. In one of these hands, it always comes seven. In the other, we have Barry Greenstein. Was that just a coincidence? Or is this you sending coded messages to our live stream viewers? Okay, so uh, Lauren, just so you know, Lauren, we have these memes, these sort of catchphrases for our shows. One of them is an ace uh, on the river. That's called the Barry Greenstein. And then we have this other thing called It's Always Coming Seven. I did weight a lot of the hands that I put in the movie towards sevens being somewhere on the board uh, because of the Always Coming Seven thing. As we know, most of the hands didn't make it into the movie anyway. Uh, so, yes, the seven is intentional for the pocket sevens uh, in the in the later hand. The ace on the river was not intentional in the in the diner hand because that was mostly Paul wanted it to be uh, straight flush versus full house or whatever. So ace on the river, not intentional. Always coming seven. Yes, intentional. Okay, I will allow it. Um, Well, let's talk about the ace on the river hand then. And this is the hand that's actually played out three handed through the streets. Look, I could critique it. But we all know that there's a limit to my poker expertise. Fortunately, a few weeks ago, we were joined by our super high roller reviewer, high stakes reg Sam Greenwood, to talk about some movies and TV shows. And we didn't include this in that particular podcast, but Sam mentioned that he had seen the card counter and he provided his own breakdown of that hand. Oh. Oscar Isaac opens Kings. Uh, two people call. One person has sevens, one person has... Uh, ace two of clubs, the flop, the knock, flush draw. Nine, eight, six, two clubs. Kings bets, call, call. Toon is a jack. Bet, nut, flush draw, called, sevens, uh, fold. The river is an ace. Kings goes all in, gets ace two of clubs to fold the river, uh, pair. Now, I actually think this is actually a great hand. Um, in terms of representing, I feel like the play in that sort of like WSOP circuit type tourneys, because in my experience playing with those people, it's a lot of uh, front door aggression where they just keep betting and hoping things work out for them. So it's consistent with the type of hand he play. My only thing about the hand is it would have been a better hand if he had tens. Tens is a much more like kind of like credible hand to be told. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. So like I designed every aspect of that hand, but that's a good criticism. I I, I actually, I think you're right. 
I would no, but the thing I, I also thought about it from a movie perspective, they love face cards. Yeah. Right? They love face cards, they love aces. Nobody likes nobody likes numbers. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, Joe, that's the seal of approval. You've got someone yeah. who's been playing poker for donkey's years, who plays at the highest stakes, who is obviously going to be the kind of person who rolls their eyeballs when a film gets it wrong, saying, yeah, that feels real. That feels authentic. That hand feels like it could be played in a tournament like this. Yeah, no, that was that was high praise coming from Sam Greenwood. Lauren, just, you know, this is a guy that plays like $100,000 buy-in tournaments on the regular. So um, yeah. I was pretty nervous to hear his... And also his his takes on movies and TV shows are great too. So when he came in saying he liked the card counter and liked oh, the hand, good. yeah, that was a little extra warm fuzzy for me. <laughs> um, really quick before we get, I have one last review that I want to subject you to, Lauren, before we okay. uh, before we let you go. Before we do that, uh, the show the the movie did not get nominated for any Oscars, and we sort of we me you everyone who worked on it thought we were drawing live to use a poker term. Um, for that to happen, how bummed were you when the nominations came out and didn't see oh, it on there at all? Not at all. Not at all. I, I mean, I feel like we already won and I know that sounds cheesy and maybe uh, cliche, but I, I truly um, believe that. And the fact that like Obama put us on his top 10 films of the year to me, that was like more meaningful. And I had the pleasure of watching the Oscars in 2020 when we were in pre-production with Paul, which was like hilarious. And, you know, he was nominated uh, for First Reformed, which I think is an incredible, I mean, if you haven't seen First Reformed, everyone should see that. It it's is really fucking film. good. Yeah. It's incredible. And uh, one of kind of Paul's lines that I completely agree is like, if uh, getting nominated or winning an Oscar is one of your priorities, you need a new set of priorities. <laughs> Yeah, take that, Academy. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I just, uh, it's not, it wasn't meant to be. And, you know, I, I have more movies to make and uh, life goes on. Well, hopefully this review means as much to you as it, it did does. to me. I've been saving this. This is from my mother. <laughs> oh. Now, my, my mother and father went to go see the card counter. And the movie, as you know, Lawrence, kind of, to use a poker term, it's polarizing. Yeah. Uh, people hated it. I thought would like it. People liked it who I thought would hate right. it. That There's no real telling as to who this movie is going to speak to. Um, it, it, there really isn't. And I was afraid that my parents who typically kind of just kind of take movies in at surface value weren't weren't going to care for it. Anyway, mm -hmm. here's here's the text she sent me. First of all, she said, sent me a text that said, I broke the law. And then there was a picture of my name in the credits. <laughs> <laughs> and she feels like she broke the law taking Bless. a picture. She used a movies. camera in a cinema and she thinks they're going <laughs> to come after her. Amazing. Okay, so here's her text to follow. We saw you right off. You're easy to spot. OM gosh. She doesn't believe in writing OMG because it's taking the Laura's name in vain. So she writes out gosh. OM gosh. We both liked it. Oscar did a wonderful job of conveying feelings. While he had a poker face playing cards, his expressions told me from the very beginning he was a tortured soul. I was not surprised nor disappointed by the ending. It was the only way it could have gone. He never got over what he had done and experienced at Guantanamo as shown by his eating off the tray of the much bigger, stronger inmate. That's really astute analysis that's, from your mom. Yeah, I was going to say, that's pretty profound. Like, I was not... She's I, not done. Yeah, She's that's a done. good... Oh, yeah. there's more. There's more. She, she now oh. pitches you a sequel. Sequel. <laughs> Oscar writes a book exposing the truth. Tiffany lobbies for his release based on trauma and PTSD. Plus, he was also physically tortured at the end. Okay, it's going down. I believe oh, I the title... She was oh, I believe the title led people, particularly players, to believe the entire story would revolve around the tables. It would have made IMHO for a much less interesting story. It was not about a card counter, but a man haunted by his past who happens to count cards. The deck got him through some difficult times, but playing was a means to an end, an escape. Money was not the goal. If it had been, he would not have been so willing to part with it. I'll admit it was not what we had expected, but both of us agree it was a very good movie. Okay, we're back on track. Yes, I was reminded of your comment to me years ago about the insides of casinos all looking alike. You're right. Playing in casinos is very different than working in them. They certainly would lose their uniqueness after the novelty wore off. 
I think I keep thinking I, of the movie. Oscar wasn't seeking redemption as much as punishment for his actions. This was the next day, by the way. Playing was his only true means of escape. Is she done it now? Was a, just two or three more. It was a very provocative film. I continue to think about it. I hope audiences and fellow actors will applaud and recognize Oscar's understated yet totally believable portrayal of a man tormented and haunted by his past. The movie continues to make me review the actions of the characters. Oscar has found a way to be further punished for his deeds. Obviously, the first stint in prison was not enough to alleviate the guilt, overwhelming pain of what he's done. I believe the story is a cautionary tale that ordinary people can be turned into monsters doing the unthinkable. How many people would say, I could never do that, and yet we need only look at Nazi Germany, the My Life Massacre, and Nam, the indiscriminate slaughter of tribes, groups, frequently in the name of God. Yes, it's scary how quickly the right indoctrination create not only indiscriminate killing machines, but unfeeling individuals not only devoid of empathy and compassion, but those who find amusement in the pain of others. The creator of these monsters was the only unscathed character. He lived a seemingly unaffected life in a beautiful home, making money for his company. While Oscar's suffering continued, Oscar didn't think he was worthy of his success. It was just a temporary escape for him. Well, what about his life as though nothing had happened with no consequences for his actions? He is the true darkness, not only for the atrocities perpetrated, but because there is no sorrow, no remorse, no seeking redemption in what he has done. My God. I, I mean, I believe I am oh finished. My God. I must say, I can't remember the last movie, if there was one, that has affected me as much. I mean, oh, I wow. clearly she had a lot to say about it. But <laughs> I love that. With I thought the she exception, was pitch the sequel starring you. I was going to say, Lauren, with the exception <laughs> of the sequel pitch, that was really, really good analysis. And yeah, I agree with it 100%. I hope you sent those messages to Paul. This is you what should? my mum yeah, said. Actually, that's a good idea. You should. I don't know. Paul, I think Paul gets enough praise. He doesn't need to. You can never get enough praise. I'm actually more interested in what Paul <laughs> thought of Reacher because I know Paul's read a bunch of the Reacher books and I want to know if he watched the Amazon show yet. Lauren, we've we kept email you. Email him. He's back. He just finished Master Gardener. Oh, is it over? Okay. I'll email him now that yeah. that's over. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lauren, before we let you go, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about what you're working on now, what you can share with us. If you can give us any little bit of stuff that the gossip, the movie gossip doesn't have yet. I'm well, okay with okay. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually super excited about there's there's one movie that's um hasn't been announced yet, but a, a little bit of a, you know, dropping a hint. If you've not seen the movie, a cop movie on netflix watch it immediately um it's a reedy right it's the which one it's a reedy like you gotta read words at the bottom oh you really call it that oh (laughs) oh my god i'm just you're you're not invited to the premiere (laughs) (laughs) um but alonzo ruiz palacios I'm doing a movie with we're in prep. Um, I finished shooting a film in Pakistan. Uh, that is a trans love story. That's in post. I am in, I'm developing actually one of the latest movies I've ever made aside from Swiss army man, um, a kind of a road trip movie, um, which I'm really excited about, but I think like the most immediate thing that I'm really excited about is that my cat, Dr. Bombay, plays Jamie Lee Curtis's cat in everything, everywhere, all around us. And that is Daniel's follow-up. Uh, their, their, well, not follow-up, his original film uh, after Swiss Army Man uh, that comes out March 25th. It's amazing. It's Are we going to go see it? Wait, you've geniuses. seen it already? Um, oh, I've read the script. And, okay, and, so know, we're going to go I see mean, it Dr. together Bombay's. then. Uh, I'm going to be in Mexico City, but when I'm back, yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, fine. actually, I think I will. You know, you have to come visit me. You're good luck when I visit movie sets. You've visited all my movie sets. That's true. Well, uh, we'll, we can talk about Mexico City. Yeah. Well, Lauren, I, I, I therefore have to ask the most important question of the last 45 minutes at the very end of this conversation. Is Dr. Bombay going to have their very own IMDb page? Because I oh. love cats. I'm on it. And actually, when I was in prep on Card Counter, you know, First Reform A24 released that. And I got a call from A24. And I was like, oh, my God, they want to pre-buy the Card Counter. This is like a huge deal. We're going to sell the film before it's even shot. And it was business affairs. And they were like, um, are you the owner of Dr. Bombay? Because I love the production <laughs> designer. And the production designer put photos of Dr. Bombay in the film. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, can you sign a release for him? Because he's in the movie. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. A24 is calling me about my cats, not my movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm thinking that they're going to pre-buy the movie, but they're just, they're like, are you Dr. Bombay's manager? Yeah. Uh, Lauren has done almost as much for my career as she has done for her cat's careers, which is actually, no, actually quite generous. He's, he still has not gotten a Frisky's commercial, which I'm very upset about. My agent <laughs> at WME is on thin ice. I might just jump over to CAA if they cannot get him a deal this year for Frisky's. <laughs> Well, Lauren, best of luck for the future. And thank you so much for joining us today for our, our breakdown you of your movie, The Card congratulations again on your uh, award. The right people uh, got nominated and won. So pretty stoked for you guys. Thank you. That's very kind. Well, we are almost done with The Card Counter, as Joe said at the top of the show. We're kind of going to put the film to bed after this, but it is obviously the subject of this week's Superfan Quiz. And we're thrilled to mention, or rather thrilled to welcome, Sven Dahl Bjornsson to Poker in the Ears. Sven, how are you? Great, guys. How, how are you? We're great. Sven, you're a guy we've interacted with a bunch over the years. We we're both kind of surprised you. we had never like spoken to you or had you on the show before. So it's good to meet you. Thank you for, uh, for, for being with us. Well, thanks for having me on. More than anything, when someone steps in at the last moment, that's always a lot of added pressure. And I'm guessing you probably haven't had the chance to re-watch the film in the last four hours. I haven't. I, I, I put it on and listened to it while I was working. And that juggled my memory a little bit. Okay. Okay. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your life. What are you working on? What it, tell us a little bit about Sven. Well, I work in IT. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, a, I'm a programmer um, and I live in Iceland. It's, cool. Uh, my wife and my kids. Oh, that's uh, really cool. We, I don't meet many people from Iceland. Is it just as, as beautiful and idyllic as it seems to the rest of us? Uh, it really is. It really is. It has, it has the nature and the beauty, but uh, it does not have the weather. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sven, you know the deal. You are playing for a $215 Sunday Million Anniversary ticket. The one thing I'm going to say with 100% certainty is we will sort you out with some extra merch because we appreciate the fact that you signed up at the 11th hour to be on this week's podcast. There are 10 questions about the movie, uh, a couple of which have bonuses, so we'll make sure the bonuses get shared out. But please, Sven, give me a number between 1 and 10. 11. Always coming seven. What is the name of the actor who plays Kirk? Oh, man. Multiple, choices. multiple choice options are available if you'd like them. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Is Kirk played by Oscar Isaac, Willem Dafoe, Ty Sheridan, or Bobby King? But which one was C? Sorry, C is Ty Sheridan. Yeah, I'm going to go with C. You are correct to go for C. Tight Sheridan for a point. And here is a fun bonus question. Oh. What is Kirk's last name? Buford. Balfort. Do you know Buford, what? Balfort, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the bonus point. As far as I'm concerned, that's that's worthy of a point. I so don't know you, that I would have gotten that. What What is the actual last name? Balfort. Balfour. Yeah, he got it. No, he, he, did he get was it. talking it out. Okay, Joe. Uh, let's just start at the beginning. Question one. Okay, what room number is William given <laughs> at the first hotel he stays at? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll take the choices. Is it room one? Yeah. Room 101. <laughs> room 77 or room 316? Uh, I know this is crazy. The first room he's in is like a motel, right? Like it's uh, yep. So I'm going to go with room one. No, it's room 101. It's a George Orwell <laughs> reference. And that means the bonus question actually passes to you, Sven. How much was the room for one night? Man, I have no idea. It was $56, but you're up next. You have a 2-0 lead. Uh, any number other than one or seven? Uh, four. Question number four. What's the name of the prison 
where William was an interrogator. Well, he was a, an interrogator. Um, was it Guantanamo Bay? No, Guantanamo. Would you like the options? I would like the options, yeah. <laughs> okay. Was it Guantanamo Bay, Sednyaya, Abu Ghraib, or Tadmur? Abu Ghraib. Abu Ghraib for a point. It's your one mulligan. Thanks. Joe. Uh, question number five. Question number five. What seat is Joe Stapleton sat in at the poker table? Joe Stapleton is in the one seat. Joe Stapleton is in the one seat for <laughs> two points. And you have it down by one. It's 3-2 is the score. And Sven, you're up next. Uh, number three. Question number three. How much money does William give Kirk to start his new life? 150000 150,000 for two points. And oh Joe, boy. you're up. Uh, question, is has my lucky number nine been taken yet? It hasn't. Nine's right? still available. You can have nine. Let's go. Where does Lalinda first meet William in the movie? I know there's references to them having crossed paths before, but in the movie, where do they first meet? They meet in the poker room. No, no, no. Which Of which casino? Oh, which casino? Oh, it's the... Uh, God damn it. It's a... I'll take the choices. Is it the Washer Casino, the Golden Nugget, the Bayfront Inn, or Camp Pendleton Prison? Washer Casino. It is the Washer Casino for one point. Two rounds left, and Sven, you're up by two points. Let's see. Uh, what's number two taken? Number two still available. You can have number two. Okay. What city is the law enforcement convention being held in? Oh, I have to take the most places. Okay. Was it Panama City, Las Vegas, Atlantic City, or Kansas City? Atlantic City. Atlantic City for a point. Okay, Joe. Uh, the lowest. Whatever is low. Uh, the lowest number available is number six. From the lyrics to the song Rapture, in my lonesome... What's the next word? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll take the choices. Is it in my lonesome isolation, aberration, deviation, or relaxation? I'm going to go with isolation. Aberration was the answer. <laughs> the I don't even know what part of the movie that song is in. Is that like when he's in the car? The song plays throughout the movie. Throughout wow. the movie. It's okay. like the main song used on the score. I see. Um, <laughs> eight and ten are the last two questions available. Which one would you like, Sven? Eight. eight. Question number eight. Yeah. What type of music is playing in William's Nightmares? What genre of music? Uh, does it have to be like super specific? Like, um, specific? Don't have to be super specific. Okay, it's like metal, like rock. Heavy rock metal music. is what I've got written here. I'm going to give you the two points and Joe, your <laughs> final fucked, question. I can't win. <laughs> Why does William not like staying in casino hotels? Cameras. No, it's because they know everything about you. Uh, you put up a measly three points. All right. I mean, and the Sven, our fix last was in here. minute super fan. How many letters were in the closing credits? Eight <laughs> points. There is actually a question about the closing credits, and I'm just interested whether you could answer it. This is what Patrick had as the tiebreaker. How many people are named before Joe Stapleton in the end credits? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to take a guess? I'll take. I'll set the line at eighty. More than double, one hundred and sixty-three, <laughs> and that doesn't include firms or media groups. Uh, Sven, congratulations! You are a winner. We are going to give you the Sunday Million anniversary ticket plus some Pokestar swag. We'll get in touch to get your details. Awesome! Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming through, Sven. <laughs> I think I would have lost to literally anyone. <laughs> All right, my babies, we're just about out of time for this week's show. 
Use the Discord. Get in. That's how we found our super fan. It's the best way to get involved. Comment on the show. Submit your ideas, your super fan applications, and uh, weigh in on the movies and TV shows we don't have time to chat about from week to week. Coming up next week, it is it our Prague preview show, or will yes. I already be in Okay, I'm very confused. No, it will be our Prague preview show, and I believe because I talked to the people booking your flights, we will record the podcast and then you'll be jetting off to the Czech Republic. So we're a busy week ahead of us. We've got a Sunday Million stream on Monday night, building up to the 16th anniversary on Sunday, the 20th of March. Uh, And then we are traveling to the Czech Republic and we are bringing you five days of live streaming of the European Poker Tour event from Prague. But we will talk more about that on next week's podcast. On the Prague Preview Show, which is coming up next week. And next week. Remember back when they used to... I don't know if if this ever made it to the UK. Do you remember they used to do crossover episodes of TV shows, like when the Golden Girls would pop up on Magnum P.I.? I hated that. I really hated it because it was always just so ham-fisted and just so awkward. It was never natural. I think the best example is, what's the name of the detective who started in Homicide Life on the Street? Um, Munch, Detective Munch. Munch. Yes. The fact that that character has appeared in all these NBC TV shows over the years, I like that. I think that's really cool, that they're all part of the same kind of detective universe. So we're kind of doing that next week with our very own Detective Munch, a.k.a. Andrew Brokos, who is the Mm. host of the Thinking Poker podcast. So we're not only going to borrow their host as our guest... But we're going to be doing our biannual strategy episode. <laughs> you know, every two years where we talk about strategy on the show, uh, Andrew is going to give me a live poker lesson on the air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what results this is going to produce, but hey, you got to try everything once, right? To be fair, this was, I think it was former superfan Kai's suggestion that we give you 30 minutes of intense training from one of the finest minds in poker. So if it works, thank her. If it fails, you know who to blame. Yes, I blame Canada. Anyway, that is all the time we have got for this week's show, my babies. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.